Hello and welcome to episode number nine of Future Tech Chat. Today we'll be talking about Google Incorporated. I've got two friends here with me today. Uh, Keegan On is our special guest. Keegan, say hi. Hey everyone. And with us as always is Mike Cottrell. How are you doing? Hi, ho. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, I thought we'd start this episode a little bit differently than ones we have in the past. Uh, we've been we've been doing a news segment for the last three or four weeks, and uh, I thought, given our Google-themed episode, um, we would talk a bit about Google News first uh, instead of waiting till the end. Just get it out of the way. How do you guys feel about that? Works for me. Cool. Uh, Mike, why don't we start with you? What's uh, what's some Google news you've heard in the last week? Well. You know, I think everyone had heard of the whole Apple versus Samsung debacle. Um, Apple, of course, uh, accusing Samsung of copyright infringement for their designs of a rounded corner phone, and uh, <laughs> the uh, and Samsung's, of course, saying, "Well, no, ours is nothing like it, and it sells itself on its own without having to be, you know, made similar to the iPhone." Um, so now, the most recent developments after everyone thought that that lawsuit was gone and dead after Samsung was uh, ruled to have paid Apple a settlement. Well, they, um, yeah, they did pay Apple a settlement. Or they did pay, I guess, yeah. Um, hold on, I have to let my cats out of the... <laughs> um, so, yeah, so now Google is kind of stepping in and being the big brother and saying, hey, hold on here. We're uh, we're gonna defend you in this case, and um, it sounds like it's more of a contractual obligation as opposed to a goodwill um, stepping in. Um, but in either case, it definitely helps Samsung in their ongoing, seemingly never-ending battle with with Apple for for all these copyright infringements. And um, you know, I, I think it says a lot about just the system itself and copyright and that kind of thing, where you can have two completely different phones, but still have some sort of copyright version between the two and right. money changing hands because of it. So. so yeah, that's the main thing is that just Google as a uh, supportive software for the hardware, and they also do their own hardware too, but in this case, they're, they're the software for the phone. They're, they're coming in and uh, giving a defense for, for Samsung in this, this lawsuit. Right, yeah, the big thing in this one was... Uh... Or one of the big things was sliding, sliding to unlock the phone. Yeah, that's right. Samsung saying that I think it was Samsung saying that Apple infringed on their slide to unlock, and right. they're trying to decide who came up with it first. Yeah. Well, they're sifting through emails and notes and all this kind of stuff about who mentioned it first and when it was released in beta form and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know. It's I think at this point it's very arbitrary and hinging on technicalities for who came up with it first, I think. Yeah. Do you think Google's support for Samsung is more uh, in support of Samsung or more to stick it to Apple? Uh, like I said, I, it, it looks like it's more of a contractual obligation to be in defense of, of Samsung, okay. being as Samsung's kind of the vehicle for Google's uh, operating system. Um, but, you know, it, it, I think it works both ways. I think Samsung's done a lot for, for Google and, you know, and making nice... Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the internet, so there would be cats everywhere. 
they, uh, you know, Samsung's a lot for, for Google in, in making beautiful hardware to, to showcase their operating system, and um, I think the least Google can do is kind of give some sort of support for, for Samsung in this case, but I think definitely, um, you know, it doesn't hurt to stick it to Apple, as you say. Yeah. Nice. Well, the thing that I found interesting about this whole trial, this, this second big trial, is that they managed to find 12 people on the jury who apparently had not heard about the conflict between Apple and Samsung <laughs> in in California, never like where they're both situated. I found that fascinating. <laughs> See, in that case, I'd be worried about their credibility of actually ruling on on yeah. a tech case like this. Because if you're even marginally exposed to the tech news, you, you'd have heard about it. So, yeah, I found that really really interesting insight. <laughs> the only twelve people in all of California that hadn't heard about it. Yeah. Cool. Keegan, why, do you have a piece of news you want to talk about? I did. Uh, I was reading recently about um, the kind of the innovator behind uh, Google+. Plus, Vic, I forget his last name. Gandotra? Gandotra. Uh, and he's stepping down from his position at Google. Uh, and just I've been reading a lot of different speculation as to what's going to happen to Google+. Plus. I read a, a report on Business Insider that was saying that, or there's rumors that Google's kind of um, uh, transferring people out of the Google Plus division or, or downsizing. But then someone came up today or yesterday, one of the Google execs, uh, and said that it was, uh, yeah, Jonathan Zunger, uh, and he said that it's not true or that um, Google Plus isn't going anywhere. Um, yeah, so I just thought it, it's one of those things where uh, someone who's kind of been there from the start or from the inception of Google Plus is moving on, and now uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how they um, adapt with the change in leadership and uh, what's going to happen with Google Plus. Because I'm just kinda, I'm just getting used to it. Like I, I just started using it, and it's uh, it's pretty neat. We're we're doing this on a Google Hangout. Yeah. Well, yeah. The I mean the the topic of this is is Google Inc. and um, I I love the company. I love I like Google Plus and sort of, I, I read an interesting article this morning uh, basically blasting the people who had written all these these articles about reports that came out of Google that this was all, that it was being, not shut down, but being sort of backpedaled a lot. Yeah, downside, yeah. And uh, talking about how it was it was poorly sourced and it wasn't well written and it was written by someone who had never used the product and yeah. how it sort of should be taken with a huge grain of salt. And right. uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. It It doesn't make any sense that they would backpedal on that because it's making them a ton of money and um, the advertising is their business and it helps with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the products are free and people like using them, so I don't know why they would do that. I read a quote somewhere that it, that Gadocha was actually let go or at least asked to step down. Really? Yeah. I, 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 think, I think the quote. I think the quote was that oh, when you fire your head exec, then it spells the end for your division or whatever. And I don't know, it didn't, it looked like the quote came from a Google source, but again, who knows who that source is. Um, but I thought found that interesting that, you know, if they're intending on keeping the product, why would Gondotra step down or be let go? That, that isn't, like, unless it's just a money-saving thing that they're just getting the engineering guy to run the Google Plus end of things, too. Well, the, the way that I read it, um, initially, when when it first came out, he was phrasing it as he was moving on to greener pastures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all the, I mean, Larry Page, 
one of the execs at Google, like the big exec at Google, uh, said that it's not changing anything. And then the new guy who they brought in, who used to run, oh no, he was vice president of He's the Chrome guy, I think, isn't he? Yeah. Or is that a different guy? Vice Chrome guy, uh, Brad something, but I can't, I can't remember his last name. Yeah. But uh, he said, like, nope, nothing's changing. I'm taking over, and the the ship's gonna keep sailing, which is. I mean, if it stands that way, it's good news. I don't, I don't really see why they would stop it now. It's just really getting started. It's only been three years. It'll be three years in June, I think. So yeah, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I believe it, and I don't, I don't want to believe it. I think they might go back on uh, integrating YouTube and Google Plus, like requiring a Google Plus account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people really uh, like that on the, from stuff I read. Yeah, they hated it a lot, and I, I I don't really see it. I like YouTube the way it is, and uh, when they integrated Google+, Plus, it got better for me. So, yeah. I, I'm getting kind of confused on YouTube now. I like I have like three different accounts somehow, or like <laughs> ask me like which profile I want to use. Like it seems to be like fractioning my my online presence. Interesting. Well, I know I like I have several different YouTube channels. Yeah, um, that's probably it. when I'm si- when I'm signed into multiple. Google accounts, uh, like I, I have my my personal email account. I also have a Gmail, and then I have uh, a school account that's linked up to Google Apps. Right. And all three of them are, if they're all logged in, then it gives me lots to choose from. But so it's kind of confusing. But it's, I mean, it's the same thing as logging in through Facebook to any like all the hundreds of services we all use that hook through Facebook. It's just Google instead of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that's that's good for news. We can uh, we can start the show itself proper. Um, I guess the place to start would be briefly discuss a little bit of the history of Google. Not get into too much detail, but uh, they started off as a search company that also did advertising. Um, and that's sort of the way they've made their their massive, massive fortune. Uh, and this is a point that that Mike had here, um, trying to get a sense of how Google makes money. Uh, and so that gets right to the core of the history of their business. What do you what do you think about that, Mike? How do you think about uh, Google? Because I mean, it's it's ubiquitous now for search. If you, you you say you're googling something, and that's how they make their money. What do you? Yeah, uh, what do you yeah I actually read a uh, read an article. Um, from a guy named Joey Davila, and he's a uh, he used to be a Microsoft uh, evangelist or Microsoft employee. Now he's a tech evangelist for for mobile development, um, and he kind of did a little blog post on how different tech companies make money. Um, and um, just pull it up here because he gives some pretty good pretty good charts here about this about uh, search revenue and. And ads are. Yeah, just like it kind of talks about the. Can you see that there? Yep. Yeah. So this talks about Apple's revenue here. So it shows you know that the iPhone accessories, iTunes, Mac, iPad. So it's, it's mainly hardware that they're that they're selling and making money on. And then you have Google's, and you have Google websites at sixty-two percent, and then. Associate websites at 21, 
And then Motorola, I guess their hardware division would be 8% and then other 9%. So obviously the websites and the members' websites, that's all web-based revenue. Yeah. Um, you know, advertising, um, just licensing fees or whatever. I don't know what exactly, um, what exactly would be involved in that, but it's, it's very largely ad-based and, you know, clicks per, per minute Based revenue, um, CPM. It's, it's well, like well, just it's clicks per mil, isn't it? Click not clicks per minute. Oh, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking. I, I didn't know that was a thing, but sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's basically it's basically passive money making because they're just putting their stuff out there and letting people buy ad space and they're collecting their paycheck. Um, you know, without a whole lot of you know additional overheader. Mm -hmm. Or effort to put a product out there per se, other than just a really good search engine and you know these other photos and YouTube and that kind of thing. And so that that kind of like passive uh, revenue generation, like you're saying, that kind of like gives them the space to to be creative and innovative, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like it's right. it sells itself basically because people know it's a good a good uh, good good place to to advertise, and Google reaps the benefits from that for sure. Yeah, I uh, I've always found it interesting that I I, I feel like people work, who work at Google engineers that work on that search product would be kind of offended that you say it's a passive. Well, passive passive in the sense where you're not putting out and selling a product. You're selling ad space, and you know the the ad the revenue is being generated by the people clicking on your stuff. But yeah, first I'm not saying it doesn't take effort. I'm not saying that at all. Okay, that's fair. I just yeah, yeah it, calling it a passive thing like they're constantly oh. refining their. They're oh, no, no, no. They make more money if their searches are more relevant. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. But that's what I'm saying, that it's a good product, and people will pay to advertise in that that realm, but it's not like they're having to, you know, develop, like, you know, an iPhone and release a new iPhone every year. They keep their algorithms um, fast and relevant and all that kind of stuff, and it's just a different type of product, I guess. Fair enough. Well, I mean, yeah, they. I mean, the company in itself does have to release a new product every year, just Ooh. not the search part. Well, Android. Right. Well, Android is its own thing, but e even with that, Google Google collects their licensing fees, like they're they're open the AOSP, and then you know, like Samsung's paying their licensing fee for that, and Google doesn't have to do anything for that. Like their Android team is working on the support for that. Right, but, but that's still Google. But they're not putting out a product. Like they're putting out their operating system, but it, the phone's doing the selling for them. I, I guess, but the the open source project. I mean, the open source project for Android is run. It's I mean, it's developed by Google engineers. Same mm -hmm. thing with the Chromium open source right. project. Like it's not directly making the money, but their product, like they use these products that they're developing in open source. For Chrome and for Android, I mean, if if you use the Chrome browser, uh, it's making because they're constantly working to make things faster, to make overhead less, um, to refine even their ad programs, uh, AdSense and AdWords, to um, to work better with Google Chrome. So if you use their product, the better it is, the more money it's going to make them. Mm -hmm. 
So I think it, I think it all ties together. Like it's really good that they're pushing forward this open source stuff. But I've heard that Android open source is, is free and it's supposed to be free, but it's it's really not free because what you get with the open source part of Android is lacking the actual guts of a phone because that's now that's in the Google part of Android. Mm-hmm. Play and all that. Yeah. And that's the thing you pay for. Yeah, exactly. Not that it's expensive, but it's no. right. something. Bad though. Yeah. So uh, another thing I want to talk about is sort of the lesser known aspects of Google. The things that they're either the companies they're acquiring uh, or the the direction that they're going, the, the Google X project that they're working on. Uh, the the most sort of striking one that everyone's heard about and talks about is the self-driving cars. Um, basically using Google Maps data and refining that as well constantly um, has let them build robot cars that can literally drive themselves just using Google Map, which is, I think, is also most of Google Maps is open source too. Um, what do you guys think about that? Would you ever trust a self-driving car? I mean, you, you see them getting into accidents sometimes, but usually it's the other driver that's at fault. I mean... I've only ever heard of actually one accident, like a bad one, but uh, they said that it was either it was not self-driving at the time or it was, it was someone, like it wasn't the computer's fault at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was reading something that it has like a... Re- Uh-oh. Keegan, <laughs> <laughs> where'd you go? We'll, uh, we'll see if Gein comes back. 300,000 miles without a single accident under the computer control. That was in 2012. Yeah. From this article. The one I'd heard was in, I think, Taiwan or Thailand, and they were doing mapping, and it, the car got into an accident. It was widely publicized, but it turns out there wasn't the car's fault. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was the other driver. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was reading an article the other day on people who have driven the self-driving cars, and they actually, they've realized that sometimes the self-driving cars are too smart and they, they drive too much like an automatically driving vehicle. The example they gave was when you're on an exit ramp and say you're, say the, the posted limit, speed limit for the ramp is 40, that they'll be going 80, they'll slow down to 40, but instead of staying at 40, they'll continue to slow down until they start coming into like the weave lane of the highway and then they'll accelerate back onto the, the same speed. But the self-driving car would slow down to 40 and then just stay at 40 around the curve, right? Whereas people, when they're driving, they, they continue to slow down. So people would tend to feel uncomfortable and unsafe in a car that just stays 40 around the curve as opposed to continuing to slow down. The whole time. Right. As, as, like, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to stay at the speed limit, but because it's not natural for a person to do that, Oh. <laughs> oh, there we go. Because it's not natural for a person to do that, that, you know, they're trying to make these cars more learning, where, and then they're, they're seeing that the future is going to be where you can, you can buy a self-driving car and then drive it around for a bit, and the car will learn your driving habits, Ooh. and then it will drive according to the way you do so that you're most comfortable in it. And then th- you can also set modes where, like, say you want, like, an aggressive driving, so you set it into like aggressive mode where it will like 
you know, allow for like, you know, the bare minimum of space before like merging or changing lanes. Or you can have a more like, you know, if you have a baby in the car, you can have more cautious driving where, you know, it will give more cushion for like spacing between vehicles and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, it's, it's kind of cool the, where, where it's going to go and as far as just the AI learning and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, tech-wise, that sounds awesome, but driving-wise, that sounds horrible. Why would you want an aggressive... Well, not like, not dangerously, but relatively aggressive. I mean, if, if all of the cars on the road are self-driving, sure, but if you're if there's a robot that starts getting aggressive with you, you're going <laughs> to try to ram them and then cause an accident because it swerves out of the way. <laughs> well, maybe you picked up a girl or something and you want to, like, show off your driving moves. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But like Mario, Mario Andretti. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do you think if if we continue like towards this trend and we uh, people start using these uh, automatic self-driving cars, do you think that that puts us at risk of losing, you know, losing a skill set like the the skill of driving, and then you know something happens, we don't have them anymore, these cars, and then people just don't know how to drive. Mm. Do you think that we're eliminating like a knowledge. I mean, there, there's always the risk of that. People, I mean, you could say the same thing about cars in general. People, when they used to buy a car, you'd you'd know everything about it, so you could fix it yourself. But now it's people don't know how to even like jumpstart a battery. It's right or like manual transmission. You know, like that. Like everyone used to have that, and now it's kind of fading out. But you go, you go, and you like I don't know. Like you always hear like if you want to buy a sports car or if you want to drive in Europe, but you need to know how to uh, drive manual. I think I think it would have people become more reliant on the self-driving aspect, and I kind of relate it to how you know growing up, um, you know, tech was just kind of starting out, you know, back in elementary and junior high, and you know, with if your computer got a bug or you had to like fix something, you just did it, you figured it out, and you did it. But now, like you know, I'm I'm I work in an office, and we have an IT department. And now in case anything goes wrong, they're like, oh, call IT, call IT, call IT, like for everything. Like, you know, if I want to like, install Chrome, I have to like get IT to at least like let me install it. Um, but, you know, if anything goes wrong, it's like the IT guys that do it. So it's like I found myself that, you know, I become less familiar with how my computer's working because I haven't been in practice of fixing things with it, right? Right. So, you know, I think with a self-driving car, I think, yeah, you just stop paying attention to what's on the road and all that kind of stuff, and you just lose that, I think. I'm really interested to see how the self-driving cars handle inevitable accidents. I mean, obviously, they're gonna, the algorithm is going to be designed to keep you in the middle of the lane, and if, like, hopefully before a collision is imminent, be able to react to avoid it. But I wonder what would happen if, because obviously at a certain point, a car, two cars that are self-driving are going to be in a position where they cannot avoid an accident. Like, what would they do in that scenario? Would they preemptively de deploy the airbags? Like, what, what, what do you see? How, like, what kind of things do you see happening to prevent an act to prevent human injury from self-driving cars if they're going to crash? What would you What would you consider imminent? Like being T-boned in an intersection, kind of thing. I mean, the, the cars already do have physics engines that know where other cars are. They right. know what the is. What happens if, like, you see it in, in sci-fi movies all the time. It's like collision imminent. The computer knows that physically there's no way to avoid hitting another car. Would they, like, they would minimize the, the damage, obviously, but, like, what would they do to protect 
do you think they could like deploy airbags or? I, I don't know if I don't know if you would find yourself in a situation where it's imminent. If if you have a computer monitoring for you, because human reaction time and perception is so limited compared to what a computer can do. Like if you have like radar, constantly like sensing where the other cars are, and if it senses that the car in front of you is slowing down at a specific rate then it's going to slow down accordingly, even before you can perceptively see that it's slowing down. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, like, unless, yeah, someone just rams you from the side going, like, 150 kilometers an hour, and it's out of nowhere, then, yeah, like, I don't think you'd do anything about that, and I think in that case, it would just, just deploy airbags. Like, I don't know what else it could do. What if a car, let's let's say that the technology isn't perfect, like you're, you're testing this, it's not fully live yet, and, like I'm just trying to say for the for the I'm trying to do it for the sake of argument, um, one car freezes like the computer locks up, and so it is no longer trying to avoid an accident and it puts itself in a position where it's going to hit another car. Like what kind of tactics would the computerized car have in order to avoid a collision that was imminent? Like it wouldn't have to even be a car; it could be. A wall moving faster than you'd expect. Like it could be a meteor for, yeah. for the sake of this argument. I'm just wondering what. Yeah. Or what kind of, other than airbags, could there be? Like, could there be a grappling hook that shoots out and like anchors <laughs> on the building and sw swings you out of the way? <laughs> oh, it could be like the Inspector Gadget car, where like there's like springs on the wheels and it goes like boing, and then like just pops you out of there. It goes. It just goes airborne and. Yeah. You could you could do like ejection like ejection seats, where there's like parachutes attached to them. Mm -hmm. That seems like a lot to put in a consumer car, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's also interesting to think of what happens when, or just like what if a car will swerve, you know, like that that's that's often a danger. Uh, if someone stops in front of you too quickly, do you, you know, do you hit them or do you swerve and risk hitting hitting other cars? Um, yeah, I don't know. I I haven't really thought about it. But what do you think? The yeah, that's that's another thing is like weather can play a part too. Yeah. Like if there's ice on the road, it's gonna. I mean, the computer could obviously be trained to know when it breaks are gonna fail. Like cars already have that, but how would artificial intelligence in a car counteract it? Like could it could it have salt water pouring out of the tires <laughs> 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 to really really quickly add grip? I just I find it interesting. I sit here and think about all the ways that self-driving cars could still fail, and how you would yeah, kind of kind of, kind of how how they would deal with un unpredictable variables like weather or like other accidents. Yeah. yeah. And not and it's not to say that people would be any better uh, reacting to those mm -hmm. kind of things, like a meteor. I don't know what I would do. Probably swerve. I would swerve. <laughs> well, I mean, there's even things like uh, with with insurance, with car insurance. Mm. If they fight, like with animals, I have a friend who hit a deer, and the, the insurance company actually says if you swerve and get an accident and don't hit an animal, you're li you're liable. But if you hit it, then they'll pay for it. Right. Like, how do you make that decision if it's if it's a computer driving? So if you cause an accident to avoid hitting an animal, they don't cover. Right. But if you hit the animal and also get into an accident with another car, they cover it? Yeah. That's weird. Insurance. Yeah, it's very odd and 
I mean, I, I understand, I guess, why they're doing it, but... Because there's no, yeah, there's no way to prove. If you miss, if you swerve and miss an animal, it'd be, I mean, imagine it'd be really hard to have evidence that that happened. Oh, I guess, yeah, that's true, yeah. Be like, I swear, there was, like, a rabbit there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, I guess we can move to the next one. I, I really only had one more that I, in particular, want to talk about, uh, Google Initiative. There was... At last year's Google Developer Conference, they had, um, I, th it was, I think it was Larry Page, uh, on, he was on stage at the end of the, the talk for like an hour and a half taking questions. And uh, he brought up an interesting, an interesting question that I want to pose to the two of you. If you could go to a utopian island on Earth, but a pl basically a place where there was the government was run in such a way that they would try anything really quickly. Like, it, it would almost be like a beta test for society. Like, you would get to try out stuff like self-driving cars uh, or meal replacement with Soylent Green or whatever. Uh, Soylent, uh, not Soylent Green, but Soylent. The, the meal replacement, I don't know if you've heard about it, but the meal replacement, uh, it's just like a, uh, not like a paste, but sort of like a protein shake completely replaces the need for food like just would you would you want to go to a place that would just sort of take any new futuristic technological advancement and try it out on a small subset Mike why don't we why don't you start would you do that I would yeah because I, I texted you the other day about my idea of of having like a computer chip not a computer chip but just like some sort of chip that allows you to communicate basically telepathically with anyone, but and they can call you, and they'd use like a smartwatch as the user interface for that system. But you just make and receive calls just through your thoughts, and you can have silent conversations, like with other people, like a phone call but through your mind. And Rob seems to think that someone's already thought of that, so I was like, "Well, sign me up." <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, maybe there already is an island, and that's what he was. He was just trying to gauge interest in it. There you go, yeah. He's fishing for invitations, yeah. No, but like, I don't know, I think it'd be kind of cool, like, I, I guess I don't see a huge amount of risk for testing out new tech. Like, it's not like you're on, like, medical trials or anything. It's like... Right, but I mean, it, medical trials could be a part of it. Right. Um, it, well, let's, I'll, I'll bring up what I want to say, but Keegan, do you have any... Would, would you do that? I would not do that. Uh, no, you're I happy think here. There is considerable risk with with any kind of testing environment. You're like the reason we test is so that you know this stuff doesn't go haywire. You know when it hits uh, consumer market, um, and so I think the best way to test stuff is the way they do it now, which is you know when they keep it contained. Uh, and I think living in that kind of environment just kind of opens you up to all kinds of. Um, Things that could possibly go wrong because like, stuff is stuff's kind of supposed to go wrong. That's the that's the point of testing is to figure out when when cars decide to target people and run them over, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, would, it would be it would be too chaotic for me. You know, I, I don't think I would be, would be able to function in my day to day life worrying about uh, stuff like that. I don't think I don't think we ever touched on it last week about like the smart homes or two weeks ago I guess about the smart homes, and I I brought up like you know, is Skynet a possibility where, like, all your machines and technology just decide to, like, 
become self uh, self aware and like turn on humans. Like and and like I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like once AI does develop, like if it starts, you know, recognizing risks and eliminating those risks, it's like how do you how do you prevent that from happening? Yeah, that's that's true. But I think I say it's worth it for me, anyways. I mean, I would definitely go to this island. <laughs> uh, that it leads into to another Google th- initiative that I was uh, reading about. And this was this was a while back too. Um, they announced Google announced a project that is going to focus on extending human lifespan. And the project is called Calico. Um, basically, they want to tackle. They want to take a, a test group and uh, do research and development into all the ways that we can extend life using technology and science. Right. Uh, and like even Time Magazine addressed this by saying that would be crazy if it wasn't Google because they have, I mean, there are already things like um, in terms of sickness, Google Flu Trends is already a service they offer. Like when people are searching for flu symptoms or flu medication or anything like that, they track that across countries and they can see when a flu outbreak is going to start happening. Like a, mm. if an epidemic started, they would see it first because that's what oh. people are searching for. Right. There's a, there's a, so there's a ton of information out there about um, ways that technology can help improve our life. And I mean, it already has, obviously. Um, we're, we're expected, I think it's 10% now. 10% of people are expected to live past 100 if you're born today. Mm. Which is uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy considering a couple hundred years ago it would, it would be like less than one percent. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I guess what like are there any Google initiatives or things that you guys have been reading about or heard about or even used that Google does that you think are interesting worth talking about? I know Keegan, you'd mentioned Google Apps. For education, yeah. Oh, I was just I was thinking. Uh, you know, I, I I thought I was going to talk about it, but then I talked to people who I've done school with who just don't know about things like Google Drive or Google Docs, uh, or or you know we work in a group together and they're like, oh, it's the first time I've ever used uh, something like this. And it just seems crazy to me because my entire undergrad I I used uh, Google Docs for all my essays and organizing all my notes. Um, yeah, and just that kind of um, cloud sourcing uh, information, I guess, I find it um, it really streamlines uh, how efficient I can be. You know, I can work work from uh, home for a bit and do stuff and go to the gym and then, you know, at the gym between something, I can look at my phone and, and read more about my assignment. I can go to class and, uh, oh, I'm there half an hour early and then I go to the library and I pick up right where I left off. Uh, and just that level of access to to your uh, all of your documents, all your information in one place, or in in every place, you know, all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't. I, I I was out of school just before they started, um, just before Ottawa University started using Google Apps for education, giving everyone a Google account. Uh, but that would have been. I, I mean, I was using it, and I think that having Having a community like that all have this one login, uh, like it's amazing for group projects 
or any sort of group interaction with multiple people, um, teachers can outreach to their students. They can give assignments. They can collect assignments. It's uh, it's unbelievable that more places don't do. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be Google. There are a few companies that are doing this now, but um, I think Google does it best in terms of collaboration, just with real time collaboration with uh, all the kinds of documents you can use. All the and now. Uh, in the last couple months, I can't remember exactly when it was, they released uh, a framework to allow people to submit um, spreadsheet and document extensions for Google Docs. So you can do things like uh, mail merges, you can do things like, uh, the list is probably endless, but uh, all the things that uh, people were depending on for Microsoft Office you can just build for Google Docs, and you don't have to. You don't have to deal with um, the sort of the old model where you have a document, and you have your computer, and you can open it there. But if something happens to your computer, it's gone. Yeah, or you have to carry it around on a stick all the time, or you have to email <laughs> it yourself. It just, it's such a hassle. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, there are things like. Uh, I mean, yeah, their, their add-ons are, are adding every day, but there's things like Thesaurus built into Google Docs. Mm -hmm. um, track Changes is another one that I see here. Getting uh, digital si signatures for documents. Uh, Google Translate, obviously, is, is built in. Um, group messaging that's built right into a document. Headers and footers, inserting maps. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff here. That uh, that you can just tie directly into your, your Google Doc, and it it sort of makes it makes Microsoft Office, which used to, which I mean it still is the standard, but it makes it seem kind of antiquated because there's not there's you, it's hard to tie in all these things automatically. If you if you need a new piece, you can just attach it on. Right. I've been trying to well, I've been personally trying to make it my mission to get the government of Canada to use Google Apps. <laughs> but uh, it hasn't gone anywhere so far. Yeah. I, I would think, I would settle for them using OneDrive. I think I think I've, I think a lot of hesitation is on just vulnerability and security for it being all cloud based. Yeah. Um, like I think, you know, even like I you know, I thought of the same thing for for my work too. Just oh, I'd be cool if this was like you know. On like a Google doc, Google Doc spreadsheet instead of like you know an Excel shared document on a network, because you know you can access it from anywhere. You don't have to like remotely log into your computer to go access it. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, and you know Maria's old place of work, like they were still using like huge whiteboards and paper, and like when it could all be integrated on like an online um, environment where you don't have to worry about you know accidentally rubbing up against the whiteboard and erasing like three different entries like you just <laughs> it's all on the computer right and you can access it from anywhere and um, but you know I think people are just some people are just so non-technologically inclined that it scares them and it's just daunting and they just can't wrap their heads around it um, but I think hopefully this next generation coming up will be more more able to to embrace that kind of technology and and uh, use it in a, in a more practical way, I think. Right. I, I, I find it interesting that you mentioned security because 
if it came down to me, I would rather have this 10,000 engineer team at Google controlling my security than have either a local server or another different third-party um, mail application or, or document application. Um, I mean, the government's working its way towards open source. And the document system we have right now, which we just moved to from a, a native Windows um, drive type of situation, is it's just it's so bad compared to what I know is out there <laughs> that it makes me really, really frustrated every time I have to try to use it. It's just it's really bad for collaboration. It's obtuse and it doesn't work well with I mean it works with Windows, but it doesn't work well and it's I mean, in terms of security it's it's no more secure than the internet, other than that it's on a local network, but I don't mm -hmm. know. There's a lot better out there and the fact that I know that makes me really frustrated. Right. Yeah. What about um, Google Glasses? Have you guys talked about that recently? Uh, we talked a bit about it in wearables, but yeah, I'm I'm really excited now that it seems to be getting closer and closer to public launch. They they had a day, I think it was April fifteenth, that they released Google Glass. I think it was just the state still, but anyone that wanted it could buy Google Glass. Uh, it's still the Explorer edition. It's not the consumer version yet, but uh, I would definitely be interested in trying it out. I don't know if I I don't know, I I know that I don't have fifteen hundred dollars to try it out, but uh, the consumer version, if it's if it's a few hundred dollars, I would definitely at least try it for a couple mm -hmm. weeks. Yeah. I'm pretty encouraged by the fact that they're they're coming out with a lot more. Um, self-sufficient smartwatches that don't need to be tied to a phone, um, that they have their own SIM card with the uh, data connection. Um, and hopefully Google Glass goes the same way that you can use it as its own standalone device and not have to be paired with, with, a, uh, with a phone. Um, but yeah, I definitely would be interested in, in using Google Glass once it's released to the general public. The issue that I see with that in the future, having just a SIM-based, like 3G or LTE smartwatch, is that is going to be another at least ten, maybe forty dollars a month uh, for data. With the way with the way Rogers, Bell, and Telus are going, um, I don't know if it would fall under phone or if it would fall under a, ta a like a tablet type device, or if they'd have to invent another category entirely. Yeah, it's gonna be more expensive regardless. Yeah, I'd I'd hope that they'd come up with a wearables plan that is either a pay per use, like a pay as you go type thing, where you top it off with ten bucks, because your watch isn't gonna be sending and receiving data all the time. Like you'll have the time, and then it'll like have notifications sent to it, and you should be able to switch it between standalone mode and tethered mode, so that it can just use your phone's data if you have your phone with you. Or if you're going for a run, then you can just switch it into you know 3G 3G mode, and use the data as you're using it, but not have to pay a monthly monthly fee to use it. I think that's dreaming. I don't know that that'll. Well, I, know. I I totally know it's dreaming, but I I'd, I'd like to see that. Yeah, I mean, ideally, it would have its own data connection, and you wouldn't have to switch between standalone and tethered. It would it would connect all the time, but that's that would be more data heavy. How do you mean? 
Well, I mean, ideally, like it, it would be connected directly to the internet, so you wouldn't have right. to go through the phone. Right. And you would just be doing it. If you're just doing it to save data, then you may as well just have your phone with you. I mean, I get that there's. If you're going for a run or like just doing whatever, you like you don't always have a place to put your phone. Right, and in that case, you would. It's it's the same situation I have right now with my iPad. I have, um, it has its own SIM card and it has its own data plan, but uh, it's not. It's hard because I, I know that if I use data on it, it's costing me money when I already have my phone. Mm-hmm. And. So it's tough for me. Like I would rather put my SIM card from my phone in my iPad and use my iPad with mm-hmm. my phone's data plan, just because it's better. I would rather. I I would love to keep it together, but it's way too expensive to to use both. Even with a shared plan, it's. I mean, I'm I've. I'm been slowly going up and up in data as more and more of the things that I use use data. Last month I was at 14 gigabytes on just my phone and. This uh, month I'm, already, I'm like halfway through and I'm already at six or seven. It's a uh, it's a bad time to for data to be getting more expensive for me. I'm trying to wean myself off data. Like I I, I feel that it's uh or well my data plan is really expensive and um, I feel it's 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 just like an unnecessary luxury, especially you know like as technology gets better, uh, free Wi-Fi is becoming more and more available. And I wonder, I wonder how uh, data providers are, are going to deal with that, um, mm-hmm. that diminished need for uh, for data. Yeah. Well, I know. I can't remember where it was. I think Cambridge, New York. We talked about it before, but there's a city that, in certain areas of the downtown core, they're putting free Wi-Fi, um, just Wi-Fi hotspots. Um, and I don't know if it's through the internet provider of the city or if it's the city paying for it, um, but I think you're going to see that a lot more in in the you know downtown cores or the shopping malls and that kind of thing. Like we were in the states um, a couple months ago, and the shopping mall we went to had free Wi-Fi, and so we just connected to that and we we're good to go. Like we even bought like you know a roaming data plan for that day because we knew that we'd want to use it. But we didn't even need to use it because we were at the mall and had the free Wi-Fi. So I think you're definitely going to see a lot more free Wi-Fi going on. And um, yeah, hopefully, either the data rates get cheaper, so people are more encouraged to actually buy them, or you know, you just don't need to use data at all because you'll have Wi-Fi wherever you go. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it, it could go either of those two ways, and it's hard to say which way it's going to go. But I, I really hope that it goes the way that. Everything has data, rather than unless there's entirely blanketed Wi-Fi coverage. But then you start getting into the same. You may as well just have wind. Where I mean, obviously locally you're going to have Wi-Fi, but if you go out of town or anywhere, you're not going to, you're not going to have it. Mm-hmm. Which sort of defeats the whole purpose. And then you're using data again. I mean, I I've gone to, I've sort of switched completely over to depend on data. Like I I don't keep anything locally on my phone if I don't have to. And uh, so that's why I'm burning through so much data listening to music and podcasts and watching right. videos. Yeah. It takes some planning, but I kind of I like it that way. <sighs> yeah, data is too expensive. And I don't. <laughs> this is a little bit off topic, but uh, Rogers yesterday announced that it is now not worthwhile. Like it's not financially useful 
to bring your own device. The what? I'm not sure if they're up, increasing all their prices, but it used to oh. be that you would get a $10 discount per month if you brought your own phone, and now it's the same price if you buy a phone, a cheap, a cheap phone, not not a, a current generation smartphone, but if you buy a last generation smartphone, it's the same price as if you bring your own. So there's no cost advantage to keeping your own device with Rogers, and I'm sure that Bell and Telus are soon to follow with that. Sort of disincentivizing people from doing the bring your own device thing, because that makes them less money. Yeah. Well, I think I think before they they would think that you know by doing by people bringing their own device they're leaving one company and coming to another. But now with all the you know unlocked phones that you can buy with the the Motorola's and the Nexus devices, that that yeah that that doesn't serve the same purpose. Now people are just buying a really affordable phone and getting a deal on their contract. They're not taking business away from Telus or whoever. Um, so yeah, I think that that makes sense for them, I guess. Yeah, it's really it's really annoying, and I'm never switching providers ever. <laughs> um, so I guess we don't have much time left. I mean, not that there's a limit on this, but. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about is why can't Google bring their awesome products that aren't in Canada to Canada? Uh, there's a few of these that are that I'm going to use as examples. I'll just list them. Google Voice, which has kind of come to Canada, but not in its best form and uh, not in a way that makes it really useful, like for people that want to get rid of a phone plan. Uh, Google Music, which is an amazing tool, lets you upload your music and stream um, Google's music from the cloud for, I think it's a small subscription fee to, to do the actual streaming, but if you mm -hmm. just upload your music, it's free. Mm -hmm. And then Google Wallet, which is a payment method, lets you pay people, like pay for things or pay people through, uh, through even through Gmail, like you can send someone an email with money attached to it which is, right. I, I mean, I, I want all of those things, and I've wanted them all since they were announced. I mean, Google Voice was announced probably four years ago now, five years ago. And it's come to, um, I mean, you can make voice phone calls with through Google, through Gmail, and through uh, Hangouts, but you can't, you don't, have, you don't have a phone number, you don't have a, an account with a phone number through Google, and uh, I would definitely use that if it existed. What do you guys think? Are there any are there any products that you've heard about that you've gone and seen? Oh, it's not in Canada, obviously. There's Google Fiber. Yes, Google, well, Google Fiber is. I mean, it's limited to. I think. Limited to the states. Yeah, it's limited in the states already as well. But they're branching out slowly. They did Kansas first, and then I think there's some in Austin, San Francisco. I mean, Google's campus obviously is wired with it. Yeah. I think it just goes to show that there, there's a lot better out there, and people are trying to. AT&T in particular in the states is trying to compete with it by saying that they're investing a lot in fiber networks, but they're really not actually doing it all that much. They'd rather have profits than than improve service, and so Google has to keep doing this. They, they I mean, they could expand if they expanded nationwide. If they went to Canada, I would subscribe to it tomorrow. I would rather have fiber internet for three times the price of my current internet than than stay. Even if even though my internet right now with my new the new condo is free, I would rather switch to have thousand megabyte downlink and uplink. That's 
Do you, do you think that the the reason that some products aren't coming to Canada is uh, like a transition issue? Like, do you think that they are coming eventually, or do you think it's some kind of like American versus Canadian Netflix deal? You know how like we have like a really bad Netflix compared to the American version. Yeah, I mean, part of part of it is that it there's a lot of licensing to do with media and music. Uh, it took Apple a really really long time to get music going at all and then when they finally did, when they finally convinced the music industry to let them sell music, it just took off. Uh, but Google has has been able to do, they've been able to negotiate and I think Google Music opened up in Australia, possibly mm-hmm. UK recently. Not, like everywhere else except Canada. Like Not everywhere, but... It seems like it. I read the, it had a list of like 25 different countries and none of them were Canada. Yeah, well I mean it. it's probably the most glaring omission right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's... Is it because of our copyright laws? Like, I know we kind of have stricter copyright laws in some countries. I don't, I don't know that that is the case, because you can, like, iTunes, you can buy these, this stuff in Canada. Right. But, uh, there's obviously, there's licensing issues with the record companies. They're, they're sort of, I guess it's their test bed in the States. They're, they're giving them a shot and seeing if it makes them more money. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would like to think that it's coming. I would like to think that I, every time June runs, rolls around and there's another Google uh, developer conference, I'm hoping that they're going to announce that any of these products are coming to Canada. And I've been disappointed by Google Voice the last three or four years running. So I'm looking forward to the possibility now, but I don't know if I trust them to do it. It's tough because Apple are doing these, like Apple has FaceTime and they now have FaceTime Voice where you can make calls using your phone number to other Apple devices. Um, and it seems like Google could follow suit. They already do it with voice calls, but it's not through a phone number. It's through your email and your Google account. Yeah. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that it can happen, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> Have you, have you thought of um, doing some kind of workaround to, to get these products, like running through a different American, American IP address, something like that? Yeah. I, 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 we have a VPN, and it works with Netflix and Hulu and all those, um, but it doesn't seem to work with the Google products. Mm. Not that I've been able to. Um, yeah. I, I mean, th- there are ways. There was a, a while ago, there was a thing that said, some Alberta area code is 403, and there was a, a big push a while back for people to be able to that they were able to sign up for Google Voice with a 403 number, and it didn't matter that they were in the states, but that never it never went countrywide. And there have been people saying that Google Voice pops up every once in a while in Canada, and it's like, oh, I can get it, and then, but uh, yeah, it's never been rolled out. Uh, as for Google Music. I think if you, in some cases, if you sign up for American accounts, like I have an American iTunes account, and it lets me install Google, or not Google, it lets me install apps from the U.S. App Store that aren't available in Canada. That one's kind of nice. Uh, and I've used, yeah, I've used American Netflix before, but Google products yeah. seem to be more more actually exclusive. Instead of just being the, like IP-based, they're actually yeah. based on where your account's from. 
Yeah, like, and that's the thing is that you know, like our our Nexus Seven, it it has the DNS, uh, the dynamic DNS, or whatever you want to call it, yeah, um, where you can set it to the US um, domain, and yeah, it doesn't. It still knows that your your account is Canadian and that you you don't have access to the American Google Play Store. It's still the Canadian one. Okay. Um, so I don't I don't know how how we'd work around that. Yeah. Uh, I guess we can kind of wrap it up. There's one more thing I wanted to talk about that I just saw this morning, uh, and I know Mike, this is going to be less relevant to you, but apparently Chromecast is now being sold by Future Shop in Canada. So you don't have to. You no longer have to. If you have, I don't know if you've heard about Chromecast, Keegan, but uh, yeah. you can now get it in a retailer. Uh, this is the first that I've heard, at least in Canada, that it's available mm-hmm. locally through a retailer. So I might uh, have to go try it out. Future <laughs> Shop, like ten minutes from here. <laughs> yeah, I got one for my dad, and I had to order it um, from from the states. Yeah. yeah well, the, the the day it got released, for Canadian addresses, I bought one. And then had it shipped, but yeah, it's good. It's in retail stores now. Like I know when they when they released the Pebble to Best Buy, I think it was. I think they still have it. Yeah, they do. Um, that was pretty good for them, I think, because yeah, access is that much more of a, a market for that. Yeah. <sighs> okay, I think that's. I, I if you guys have anything else to add, I I think I'm through what I wanted to talk about. It's been about an hour, and that's normally where we go. Yeah, that's great. So I guess we'll stop it there, and uh, Keegan, hopefully you'll come back in another episode. Yeah, for sure. It's fun. Mike, I'm sure you'll be back in another episode. I'm always back. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, uh, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for everyone who watched, and uh, talk to you guys later. See you guys.